Welcome to We Are Scared, the podcast where we dissect and dismember your favorite horror movies. Let's go, girls. Hello! Hi! Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. Um, how's everybody doing? <laughs> Good. Good. Do we all have a, a reason to be scared, prepared? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Who would like to kick us off? I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, I I hate to to plug another movie when we're talking about a great film, but um, we watched Paranormal Activity last <laughs> night. Yeah, and it was fucking scary. <laughs> it was really good. That was scary. I'm scared. I was scared. I thought that there might be a demon in my home. Um. It was so it was so good. I can't stop thinking about it. It was amazing. Oh. But it it shook me. It shook me. Yeah, I also had trouble falling asleep actually. Yeah. I don't know why I put Saint Maud. That was not a good idea to like just like <laughs> yeah. double feature it and try to run away from the first fear with another Saint Maud. Yeah. I had trouble sleeping after also. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was not very it was not good. <laughs> um Annika. Um Boy, what a great question. I just have had one of those days where I feel like I have been like really grinding all day trying to just wrap my head around like planning things and figuring things out. But for just whatever reason, I can't like, I feel like I'm not like moving forward. I just feel like I'm kind of like on a stationary bicycle with myself right now. So I guess maybe is that like a fear and anxiety? Maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think they can be the same too. Yeah. Do you have something big coming up that you're preparing for? Well, I mean, just a few. I think that I'm I'm 28 years old, and I think that my, like, 30s looming, I'm just try, I, I think I'm thinking about, like, the next two years in a different way. So I'm just kind of trying to kind of figure out, like, what I want and where I want to be and all that. Okay. Yeah. Kiara? Me. Um, so I... I... <laughs> This fear was awakened in me because I got a new phone and I have to try and move the current contents of my old phone onto the new one. And every single device in my home is out of memory. And I yeah. like, I, I, I have learned to fear this moment in, in my, my life when all of my technology is out of memory. It's like such, it's a terrible thing to have to deal with and confront. I mean, and it is also kind of like a, I guess it's a form of, I don't know how organized you both are when it comes to like your computers and backing them up and like using external hard drives. (laughs) And I feel like the fear I have about this is that it's like cleaning, deep cleaning your home. Like you have to confront the fact that you possess so much. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what I, yeah, it's kind of scary to think about, you know, the, the whole contents of my 27 years of life and, you know, storing it somewhere. (laughs) External. Every time I turn on my computer, it's like, you haven't backed up your computer in 3,000 days. Yeah. Oh, and my I- God. <laughs> Wait, why doesn't it just say, yeah? well, I guess that is a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally. That's so funny. Oh I'm just God. like, I don't, it's fine. Yeah, I had to clean up my computer recently to get Premiere Pro on it, and I was, I don't even have anything on my computer. I don't know what all the memory is taken up by. And then I was like learning about how storage works. And I was like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. No, I'm with you, girl. I had to do the same thing. And I don't know either. And it was like, I would make room and then it was just a nightmare. Anyway, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm also afraid of losing memory myself. <laughs> like me and my own brain. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's the fear I carry with me this week. Um, okay, well, and a fear of memory, an apt fear, considering the yeah. movie we're about to discuss, which is X. Um, I will kick us off with some background, and then we can dive into conversation. I'm so excited. I love this movie so much. I love Ty West so much. I just think he's amazing. Um, he really, truly is like a monster of the slow bun. No one dies in this movie until about an hour in, um, and... I think that's pretty amazing and impressive. Um, Okay, so there's so much I really wanted to talk about with respect to Ty West and his work, but I kind of, 
I feel like I felt the way that you did, Camille, about Antichrist. Like, there's so much to say about him in particular and his career and all the movies he's made, but I had to draw the line somewhere. Um, and I know both of you also admire him so much, so please feel free to, like, if you know things that you want to add, throw them in as I, as I go along. Um, okay, so one thing I'd like to say about him is I, I do feel like he is one of horror's defining filmmakers today. Like, I think if we fast forward in time, we're going to talk about him the way we talk about Wes Craven and mm -hmm. Sam Raimi and John Carpenter and George Romero. Like, he is it for the 2000s. Um, I think it's amazing. He's, like, also a another great representative of the thing that we love so much about horror, which is, like, the do-it-yourself do it attitude and mm -hmm. do it all on a low budget. Um, he is known for doing everything on all these movies. He directs them, he writes them, he produces them, he edits them, um, which is also phenomenal. And he, he is known also, I think, for working with a couple of people who are also big in horror at the moment and, like, collaborating with them on their films. So he acts sometimes, too, in those people's movies, and they act in his. Um, he, I think, falls into the category, I discovered this, I don't know if either of you have heard of this before, but when I was looking into this, there's kind of like a genre of horror that's considered or called mumble gore. Have you, have either of you heard of this? I, f it rings a bell, but okay. I don't know what it is. I haven't okay. heard of that before. <clears throat> so there's this thing that's true for other movies, it's called mumble core, and there's, it, it's defined by the following. It's a low, bu low budget production. I got this from a website. Um, it's naturalistic acting and dialogue. The, it's character-driven plots with a focus on relationships and a actors who often improvise lines. Um, and mumble goal is just those same rules, but in, in, in horror movies. Um, yeah, and it, okay, so it seems like in the article I read, it, everyone who is sort of associated with this genre, like the, with the term mumble goal, I think... I don't know if they enjoy being associated with it, but he is one of the people that people often talk about when they discuss movies that are mumble gore. Um, and I don't know why they don't like it. But anyway, um, he falls into that category pretty neatly, and so does X. Oh, wait, sorry, not X, but a number of the movies he's made prior to it. Um, he has had an interesting career. He made, like, seven movies in a row, um, and I think the first of them was a movie called The Roost, and I think it was in 2005. In, and they were all made sort of in this style. And then um, he took a break from that from, for a while and then worked in TV, and he did like 17 episodes in a very short period of time and across different TV shows. And then he came back, came back into the world of cinema and he came back with X, and in the same year, Pearl as well. Um, so, I have a question for you both also as people who have admired him. Do you, do you remember what movie of his you watched first that made you feel like this is someone I want to pay attention to? Or this is someone whose movies I would like to continue to see or work I'd like to continue to see? I've only seen X and Pearl of his. I haven't seen anything else. Yeah, Kiara, I must say, I think that you are the Ty West super fan of this group. I really like Ty West as well, but... No, I think that you have a special relationship with him because most of my relationship with Ty West is has to do with you and your love for Ty West oh, and really? my admiration for that love and the way that you express it. Yes. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Okay, well, that's so funny, Annika, because I know... Okay, well, I, I guess it's just that I associate with you because I watch so much of his stuff with you, too. Um, but I, the very first time I watched Ty, like one of his movies was The House of the Devil... And it was like early years of college and it was some Thanksgiving and I was with you, Annika. And I just remember we screamed because we were so shocked by like the movie and what it was. And like it really looked like it was from the 80s, but it was made in 2008 or 2009. Mm -hmm. um, which again, it's a nod to like this movie as well. This movie is meant to take place in the 70s, but obviously it was made in 2020. And it came out in 2022. Um, okay, let's go through some of... Uh, the some of the the makings the makings of X okay so the budget is estimated for this movie to be around a million dollars internationally it grows to around 15 million and it got very good scores it seems like on all the rating things I don't really trust them but he did well there and I'm not surprised by that um they made the movie it seems like 
I don't know how long everyone spent there, but he spent about 13 months in New Zealand, and he was working on both X and Pull um, at the same time. Yeah, go ahead, Camille. Do you know why they shot this in New Zealand? Yes, I do. So they, they started filming it in 2020, and at the time that they were interested in filming, New Zealand was the only place that didn't have COVID yet, so there weren't as many restrictions there for filming. Um, and that was really pri- the primary impetus. Like, if they wanted to make the movie in the U.S., they would have had to wait a year, and he didn't want to do that. Um, so they took it abroad. Um, but that did make it complicated in other ways. Like, I, he had he usually films everything on film, but because of it being COVID and, uh, like, I think restrictions on... Yeah, just the filmmaking process. He wasn't able to shoot this one on film. They did it digitally, but they did it in such a way that it looks like film, and that was that was intentional. Um, but yes, that was the reason that they filmed it in New Zealand. And it ended up working out really nicely for them because um, New Zealand, as you might know, Camille, has a very famous special effects company, the, the, the company that did Lord of the Rings, and he was able to work with them to do the special effects for X. Um, because he really wanted to do this movie with practical effects and real prosthetics. He didn't want to do any CGI. So that's that's wow. that for this movie. Yeah, I know. I it's amazing. That. Nia Goth spent like six to eight hours in makeup to <laughs> become Pearl um, every time they, they filmed her in that character, um, which is just wild. And they also had a mechanical alligator for the scenes that... We're an alligator. Okay, well, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, okay, so um, they're in New Zealand. They're they're shooting this together. Um, in the past, so Ty West made another movie called The Sacrament, which is kind of based on Jonestown and, like, um, the mass suicide that occurred there. And when they made that movie, he had... He, they built the whole set and the whole community. Like, they built all the houses, etc. And um, then they, like... The, the, the shooting ended and they, like turned all of it into lumber and I think I read somewhere that he kind of felt and remembered the remorse he felt about that whole process like building this whole set and then like crumbling so soon after it was used and like everyone had built a relationship with it so when they were making X they first of all they did a similar thing they built everything they built the barn house and the farmhouse and um whatever cottage that was on the property that everybody lived in and his thinking sort of at the time was like no one can make movies right now because it's the middle of a pandemic we have somehow managed to find a loophole i have like all of the equipment i have all the tools here why don't i make as much as i can of it and that was really what inspired him to make x into a trilogy um so he started working on uh pearl after he had written X, and he co-wrote Pearl with Mia Goth, um, and they started filming it in tandem with with doing. Um, I, I don't actually I don't know exactly how the timeline worked out, but they were just working on both simultaneously, um, and that was really the impetus for the trilogy. It was just that they had the ability to make movies when no one else really could, um, and he was like, "We got to make the most of that." So another thing that's cool about Ty West and his work. I think, like, in horror, he hasn't really stuck to one subgenre. He's bounced around quite a lot. And with X, he really wanted to try making um, something in the slasher genre, because he, and what he was interested in is that, like, slashers are notoriously just movies that are about sex and violence in, like, you know, the lowest brow sense. And he wanted to make a highbrow sex and violence slasher. Um, and the other thing he was interested in doing was making a movie about making movies. And he was resistant to the idea of doing something that was like a movie a movie about making a horror movie because he, quote unquote, felt it was too meta. Um, but he did think that, or what he found interesting was that porn in the 70s or adult films in the 70s and horror sort of shared similar tracks. Like they would be made in these scrappy ways and they would find their ways into adult film theaters and then drive-in theaters for horror. Um, And so he kind of wanted to play around with that and that's kind of what led him in the direction of an adult film. But also it was his love of for indie movies. He really loved indie movies and he loved the way that um, making independent movies went. Um, And he really, he himself is really a hero of that too. So makes sense that he'd want to celebrate it. I think it's really interesting that just having so much connection between um, 
porn and horror in general because yeah like you're saying they're so they're created in a lot of similar ways and there is a lot of sex and nudity in horror in general so the two are especially in like the slashers in the 70s and 80s and so it's interesting to you know kind of have those two themes focused upon and um looked at here also yeah yeah he I think he said it nicely he was like they have a symbiotic relationship Mm. and I think that that's true I think they really do yeah I don't know if they really borrow from each other at all but like there definitely is a lot of sex in in horror Mm -hmm. um yeah and so one other thing I thought that would be worth uh mentioning people often assume that a lot of this movie is based on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, he did, because it, it's meant to take place in Texas. Um, it's five kids in a van. You know, like, all these things line up to make it seem like it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he actually didn't mean for that to be the case, but when, as he was making it, and he himself saw all the alignment, he was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to make this movie knowing that people will assume it's going to be like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he kind of used that as a framework to subvert all the expectations you might have um, for the movie and how it would play out. Um, And that is a nice segue into the first question that I have for you all in our conversation, which is... um, we have seen a number of movies at this point that fit into the genre of, or the subgenre of slasher. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't even touching my phone. <laughs> it's the ghost. Okay, for those who cannot see what just happened, I'm on a video call with Camila and Annika, and for some reason, my screen just, like, serenaded me in balloons. I don't know why. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah. What the heck? That was really funny. I honest to God have no idea why or how that happened. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, I guess my phone, I don't know. I don't know what it was trying to say. Okay, um, where was I? Right, okay, so we've watched a bunch of these movies mm-hmm. that were actually made in the 70s and we it's a turn of phrase we often use here the movies that we watch that are horror are such a great reflection of the time that they came from i'm very curious when you Mm -hmm. watched this movie Mm -hmm. did you really find it believable that it was taking place in the 70s or did you see 2020 in this Mm -hmm. movie well so my first thought is that I found it very believable but that's also coming from someone who's only ever seen like recreations of the 70s through film or like films that were made at that time but um I feel like it it managed to tap into a certain grit that that I think felt very true to me yeah totally I think that because it borrows so much from other films and because there's that lens of intertextuality like knowing that and recognizing some of the shots that they borrow from it's obvious to me that it's a later film if that makes sense but Mm. I think that in terms of like the stylistic like I this in terms of this the like I guess world building and set design and writing and all of those things did really feel though that was very believable to me I love um the first shot which it feels like it's gonna be shot on a smaller aspect ratio yes that was amazing I agree and then it like zooms out and you see that it's actually just the framing of the uh barn that yeah. was really cool. I think that they did a lot of like small things like that that just made it feel really yeah, like the self-awareness made it feel not like it was 79 to me. It's 79, right? Is when it's supposed yes. to be. Yes. Um, but I think that if you're not watching it with that knowledge that it totally does feel older. Yeah, totally. Okay, sorry. One one piece of context I actually want to add for everyone who's listening that I didn't specify. So, okay, X is a film that came out in 2022. Um, Soon after it was released, its prequel, Pearl, came out. Um, And the third film in the trilogy is going to be called Maxine, and the release date is TBD. I don't think we know it. 
exactly when it's going to come out. I, I remember reading somewhere that it was supposed to come out in 2023, but I don't know if that's still happening. I also thought um, it was supposed to come out in 23, but yeah, I don't see a release date yet. Yeah. Um, okay, so it was written and directed by Ty West, also edited by him. It stars Mia Goth. It's the first time she's in a leading role in a film. Um, and it also stars Brittany Snow, Kid Cudi, um, and Jenna Ortega. Um, okay. Continuing on with the question that I just opened with. Okay. Um, we have spoken a lot in reference to the movies that we've seen, particularly from the 70s and 80s, um, about the urban and the rural divide. And I think there is a lot in this movie, um, that, you know, is a commentary on that as well. And I wondered if you guys saw the same thing and what you, what you noticed. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting to have both groups be sort of what I imagine to be the the other's view of what is most like, I, I guess, like stereotypical of the other side. So like these city people coming in and looking at the um, the like these old, decrepit, like kind of gross country people. And then the other way around, it's like they're all just porn stars coming in to like have sex all over my farm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I loved that. And I thought it was really funny. I, I, th- I just thought it was just so cool to put them right next to each other. And to also, like, there's also the whole thing with the televangelist who keeps coming in and out of the movie talking about how, like, society is descending into this, you know, terrible wreck. And there are these people appearing in the people who watch exactly that television show, like, to film a porno in their backyard. Um, I thought that was great. Camille. Yeah, yeah, I thought that it was, there's a lot of different, like, um, kind of communities at Strife here, and I think that the biggest one for me that I felt was the, like, generational divide, which I think is also reflected in the fact that these are, like, kids coming in from the, the city to the the rural setting, um, and then also it's interesting in the fact that they're, like, creating this porno that takes place and is a story about the farmer's daughter, right, so it's, like, they're acting as though they are these urban I mean sorry these rural people um in in the film that they're creating um so I thought it was fun and then also the like religion kind of divide as well that's happening um and then also like the police that come in and you know there's just a lot of it it did a cool um job of like playing with different groups of people who have like very different beliefs from each other and like yeah the the divides that I think horror um a lot of the time exemplifies it it had a lot of different divisions of groups of people yeah totally and I I um so the themes that I sort of recognized in this movie were like um I guess a desire for uh like fame and pursuing show business and then um obviously aging and getting older Mm -hmm. um and I think there's something about also breaking out of the life that you came from that I feel like is a big theme here as well and also like it's a bit of a commentary I think too on like the opportunity divide that exists between Mm -hmm. you know like people who are exposed to that um and then people who are actually capable of, like, exposed to it and capable of dreaming of it and the people who actually have the means to pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe gets into a little more about um, Pearl and X and, like, mm-hmm. you know, Pearl is a character and then Maxine is a character. Um, I know this is jumping ahead a little bit. I actually think this might fit well here. What do you guys make of him choosing to make Mia Goth both Pearl and Maxine? Have you guys seen um, the 2018 Suspiria? Yeah. No. So it it reminded me of that a little bit because um, Tilda Swinton plays like five different characters in it and is like an old man and um, is this old witch lady. Um, I I thought it was. I realize that actually. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, Terrifying. Oh, Mia Goth is also in that movie. She is, yeah. Terrifying. Like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Um, I thought it was really interesting to make that choice, especially because, um, these are two characters that are so different in this film and that 
their identity and where they are in their lives are what creates the tension between them so I think that um casting her as both of those people adds like another very fascinating layer to the film um yeah I thought it was pretty incredible or um did you come across psycho bitty in your research and are you going to talk about that at all no what is that um so and I just like literally was doing research uh today and came across this so and I'm a little I'm a little fuzzy on it psycho bitty is basically I don't know if it's um so a lot of like older actresses and like again I read one article on Fangoria today that tried to explain this so like I like I might be getting some of the details incorrect also Mm -hmm. I found the uh, Wikipedia page which is my favorite thing I've ever seen on the internet which is gender and horror the gender and horror Wikipedia page I didn't know that existed okay Mm -hmm. sorry psychobitty is basically um probably in the 50s I think actresses that were very like you know hot in like 10 20 years earlier were aging and were starting to play roles where they are like decrepit and ugly and scary Mm. and um it's kind of this like big strife between women older female actresses like aging out of their prime but still wanting to be active in film and so they take these roles that are like um you know showcasing like the ugliness of aging and that's kind of the point of the roles that they're embodying when Mm -hmm. i first saw x i was really upset by um the character of pearl because i think that like horror like the horror of the aging female body is something that's Mm -hmm. focused a lot on in horror and other stuff too like we see it in game of thrones with melisandre um we see it in the movie The Witch, too. Those are just, like, two that I think of. But yeah. um, I, like, really liked this movie, but was really pissed off about that. Upon my research today, I realized that this was very, I believe, intentional of the director to be, like, leaning into this, like, layer of analysis a little more and doing a psycho thing, but having more of a commentary about it because this movie is paying so much homage. I don't actually know if anything right now is making sense. I feel like I, I'm, I'm very much like no, it is. processing yeah, yeah, yeah. this thinking right now. But I think that casting Mia Goth in both of these roles is fascinating because she's playing both the hot, sexy center of attention, not only within the f- like the film that we are watching, but within like the world of the film as well, if that makes sense. Like she's this hot new porn star who's like up and coming and all this stuff and also when we watch it we get to see like Mia Goth being cute woohoo but then she's also playing the older woman that's like gross and scary and like if that older woman was played by an actual actress um you know it would be like an older woman who's working and has to take a you know a job where potentially she's being exploited a little bit in that role anyways um I thought that whole thing was fascinating. I'd never heard of Psycho Bitty before. Um, and I think oh, that... I hadn't either. Yeah. It, it's super, super interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that casting her again in both those roles is saying so... Like, says so much. And actually, like, I like this movie now a lot more than I did earlier amazing. today when I learned about this. Yeah. Thanks for oh, letting amazing. me talk for super long about that. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh my gosh. No, that was great. Coming. I actually had that noted down because I do remember when we watched X. Yeah. Did we watch it together? We yeah, watched we, it all yeah. together, right? Um, I remember that when we left the theater, you did express this. Like, you were so upset that they made a villain out of an, an aging woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it had ever occurred to me, like, what it really turns older women into, like when you yeah. villainize them that way, like what it what it makes them to larger society. And um, anyway, I really appreciate your perspective, and I was going to ask you about it and whether you still felt that way. So that was interesting. But why why don't we tackle that question now? Anyway, like, what did you make of that being the villain in this film? Like I, again, I, I obviously it's kind of that representation of like this is an old god and like tradition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and like they want to defend those interests and that way of life, and they're being confronted very overtly with. Yeah. progress etc um but yeah like an old woman being the villain here and like walking around killing yeah. people and taking out their eyes with pitchforks <laughs> how did you yeah. feel about that um i this is maybe a little bit connected to your last question as well but mm-hmm. i did not know that mia goth played both 
like roles until well after having seen the movie. And so that wasn't a factor for me initially. But I do think what this movie taps into is like, I don't know about you two, but I am definitely very afraid of reaching an eight, like that age and feeling regret about like how I had lived previously or feeling like sadness for the ways in which my like our bodies will start to fail us in different ways. And so I feel like it kind of, for me, brings up this anxiety of like, you want to believe that like, as we progress through our lives, when we reach the next stage, we'll, we will be ready to enter it and we won't regret like how we chose to handle the stage before. And something about having this old woman who like so wants to be tapped into her own sexuality and has this like partner that wants to help but struggles to and she's just feeling this like I think that reg I think that having me a goth play both roles like that regret and that kind of like wistfulness of looking at at your own youth and thinking about it I don't know if I I know this is a deranged thing to say but I don't know if I can fully think of her as a villain here mm. but I don't think that's deranged no oh, what about you Camille yeah, yeah, I uh, I don't know if I agree, but I don't think it's deranged. I mean, I will, and also, I mean, I know that we're not talking about Pearl today. I didn't really like Pearl when I saw it, honestly. Um, I feel like I should watch it again to kind of understand it more, but I really didn't appreciate it when I saw it in the theater. Um, but again, I think that because, I think that if, um, this movie existed in a vacuum. I don't think that I would really like it. I think that because it is like a very postmodern film that is reflecting, it's like a culmination of other horror movies and um, like um, looking further into tropes that are explored other places and saying something new about the trope. I think that I really like it because of that. And I think that it's fascinating and kind of playing with um, what the genre has established before is really interesting. Uh, but I think on its, I think that with that understanding, it makes me appreciate it more than I originally did or than I, as somebody might, who's not, you know, seen a lot of horror films and can kind of understand what it's playing with a little bit. Yeah, I totally get that. I am, and also to, to add on to what you were saying, Annika, I, I kept thinking about, you know how people say like, oh, youth is wasted on the young. Like I, I kept thinking that about this movie as well. Like it, it, it just felt like something that made me want to be more present in my own life and in my own youth, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Paul was sort of so vexed by the, presence of these people who really were enjoying and embracing their youth. I feel like there's one scene in this movie that really like captures a lot of what we're talking about and it's the scene where they are all having dinner like they're eating their I don't know spam and cheese sandwiches on Wonder Bread <laughs> and like sitting in a circle and they start talking about um, love and having sex and whether you can be in love while having sex with multiple different people and they all talk about like taking advantage of the fact that they're young and that's why they're doing this that they're like I want to enjoy my body while it is this way and I want to take care of it and that's something that I think Britney Snow's character in particular mm -hmm. mentions a lot throughout the movie too. They also sing Landslide which I just feel like is so on the, on the nose it's like also about getting older and changing which I just think is so funny and it's so good. Mm. I love that. So Mia Goth's character says, take it from me, letting outdated traditions control how you live, your life will get you nowhere. I don't know about you, but I got better places to be than where I came from. She also says, it's just sex. You can decide who you want to love, not who you want to screw. Attraction's out of our control. It ain't healthy. Keeping those feelings locked away inside. <laughs> so crazy and so apt. And then Bobby Lynn, who's Brittany Snow, she says, um, everybody likes sex. It's a gas. We're not. We're just not afraid to admit it. Queer, straight, black, white, it's all disco. You know why? Because one day we're going to be too old to fuck. And life's too short if you ask me. Which is also, again, exactly what we see in this old couple. Like, Pearl tries to have sex with her husband, and he's like, no, my heart. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. Um, and then they all, have a to they all have a toast, and she's like, toast to the perverts. And then Kid Cudi's character is like, yeah, to living a life of excess, to being young, and having fun till the day we die. Um, and then RJ's like, to the power of independent cinema. And then mm -hmm. Maxine is like, to living life on our own terms and never accepting what self-righteous naysayers have to say. Hmm. 
I feel like that sort of also all of that really captures I think what we're describing here about um, the tension between being young and wanting to live in your life and in your body and then being old and then having to just watch other people do it. Yeah. Did anything else stand out to you guys about about those themes and about like I I don't know I don't think anyone really had a fear of death or anything but it was mostly just about aging and being mm. old. I also the yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Just the other thing that I'm thinking about about a little bit is legacy and I wonder if part of that is like taking into account Pearl and how you know the the prequel to this movie is all about how this old woman really wanted to have made something for herself but just couldn't get there and then we have this young version of herself or you know Maxine really wanting to 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 have some sort of legacy she wants to be famous she wants to be great um and so I feel like there's something there about how like I don't know all of this like change and aging is inevitable but what we can do is try to cement some like memory of ourselves within that space and like we see people in the act of trying to do that and then people who feel that they or to some extent have failed at that attempt I don't know oh no absolutely Annika I think you hit the nail on the head that's beautifully said I I I also think actually that's the reason that um Ty West cost me a goth or wanted the person who played Maxine to also play Pearl mm. is he wanted them to be representations of like the same desire at different stages mm-hmm. in in life um, mm. and and also like attempting to do it in different eras of you know history mm-hmm. yes I actually I fully agree with what you were saying Annika yes Camille I think Mia Goth is such a I mean I I love Mia Goth. She is so good in these roles. Um, Infinity Pool is like changed my life. I haven't seen it yet. Oh my god! It is. It's really fucked up. It's really so fucked up. <laughs> oh my god! Prepare yourself. When Camille name, says that, name, I can't do it. I know. Seriously, I was, and I was going to be like, Camille, name a movie that you love that isn't so fucked up. Twilight. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Well, okay, I no, that's actually, actually a really bad example, I was Camille. Say, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> the holiday, how to be single, to all the boys I've loved before. Okay, there you so rom coms. <laughs> so weird that those I were the things you picked. Multitudes, you, you guys. do, you do, but um, yeah, you, do, you, you should, you, do. you should really see Infinity Pool. But um, Mia Goth is interesting because she, I just looked it up, she's going to be 30 in like three days. She, and I think that part of it is like her voice, but she looks really, really young. You know, she has a very high-pitched, like feminine, kind of squeaky, cutie little voice. Um, She looks like she's 12 years old. And I think that choosing her in this role is also interesting because she just, I think, embodies a lot of like what, you know, in a very like, male gazy patriarchal way we think of as a society when we think of like youth and like young Mm. girls um and so i think that again like putting her in the role of pearl too in this film is interest is really interesting because that's the opposite of what maxime is uh maxine or maxime and maxine Maxine is um but um yeah, I, I just think that she does such a good job of being Maxine and this, like, very bubbly, like, you know, girl who starts opening her, open it, opening her mouth to talk and you just hear this very, like, squeaky, small, cute little voice. Um, I also yeah. love Jenna Ortega, who's such so a great good. actress. And it's so cool to see her in this before. She really blew up in Wednesday. Um, and also her being in Scream. Um, yeah. Like, it's just exciting to see kind of two very iconic up-and-coming Scream queens in this movie, who are also, like, very young and early along in their careers. Um, yeah, I think Jenna Ortega in this movie, I think she was 19. Yeah. Making it. She was really She's young. a baby. And she was a baby. Um a couple of things to know as you were talking Bill. one thing I also want to mention is um, Ty West historically has only ever made like standalone films he's never made like a, he's never made a trilogy before um, one of the reasons though that he was okay with making this trilogy is because he did feel quite strongly that each of these movies could stand alone like mm-hmm. yes there's obviously a lot that's inter- like related between them um, and they do like the, the characters uh, the character I think of just 
Paul and Maxine is really the most solid through line, but you can watch any one of them without having seen any of the others and still appreciate it as a movie on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, oh my god, I'm going to run off to my thoughts here in my mind. Um, oh, something I thought was cool about the way that he cost everyone in this movie is when he was doing it, the, I think one of the one of the most important questions that he asked everyone was like, "Why on earth do you want to be in this movie?" Because there are there are very many obvious reasons for why you wouldn't want to be, and what he the people he ended up picking um, to be in it um, answered with a reason that sort of paralleled like the the characters they were mm-hmm. in the movie. Like mm-hmm. everyone had a reason to be in this movie because of some ambition they had related to their own career or their own growth or their own development as like a creative and a performer and et cetera, et cetera. I think for Brittany Snow, it was like, she wanted to try and break out of the role of just being like a really cute and beautiful like singer girl and try something really sort of edgy and more um, intense. And I think Mia Goth was really into the challenge of being two different people in the same mm. film. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and I just love that. I think that's such a cool and it's a very smart way to, to cost your movies to ask people why they want to be in it. Um, also, yeah. I'm, I'm fact-checking myself right now, but I do think that Mia Goth's first movie was Lars von Trier's, um, or first feature was Lars von Lars. Von Trier's uh, Necromaniac. Yeah. Romaniac. Yes. Was she the lead character? Nymphomaniac. Nymphomaniac. No. She doesn't come into like. (laughs) But they do mean the same thing. There are synonymous words, but I do. You're right. It's not the right name. Sorry. Sorry, Anika. No, I. I. She. I do not think she's in part one. I think that she's in part two. She's in part two. And I don't think she shows up until pretty late in that movie but I might be wrong about that okay yeah I think this is just her not her first feature but the first time she's the lead in a yeah yeah in a feature film. but um, I just think that that's a fun easter egg for our podcast mm-hmm. oh it totally oh wait I had another fun easter egg actually it's also about Ty West so um Evil Dead inspired I think it was Eli Roth who made the original Cabin Fever the first one one of the first movies Ty West also directed was Cabin Fever 2. Mm. Crazy. It all comes together. We love our little horror family. We do. It's so cute. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. I do want to talk about um, the expectations that you felt were subverted in this movie, especially because I think we are all experts now in <laughs> what happens in a slasher movie, um, who you're meant to meet, quintessential characters, etc., etc. So talk to me about that. So much to say. I think that <laughs> Jenna Ortega is a really interesting character because she's kind of what would be our stereotypical final girl because mm-hmm. um, she we meet her as, you know, she's prudish, she's quiet. Um, and they then call she her church mouse, church yeah. mouse, yeah. And then she makes this decision that she wants to be in the porno, which totally just like shifts and subverts that. Um, but then also, yeah, having Absolutely. Maxine be the final, yeah, be our final girl is interesting because she's you know completely opposite of a stereotypical final girl as well. So just like a lot of those rules don't apply at all I thought the character of Owen was really interesting too because um he's kind of the worst (laughs) (laughs) yeah wait oh Owen like RJ the guy who films the whole thing oh yeah his actor name is Owen it's Owen yes 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 RJ yes yeah, yeah yeah um yeah he has kind of a funny, you know, you think that he's kind of this. I don't know. I, I, I thought that his character was fascinating, too. I also love um, when Maxine goes swimming and the alligator is, like, chasing oh, her yeah. and doesn't end up catching her. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, just those, like, fun kind of little moments that are playing with your expectations on a smaller mm-hmm. level. I also loved the um, just how much it borrows visually from other horror films, like the um, knife psycho shot the shot uh with jenna ortega between the door kind of um totally from the shining yeah um i thought that that was just it was just pretty amazing to see visually the representations 
Yes, I totally agree. I loved all of those moments too. Annika, what about you? Uh, I mean, I, I think I need a couple more seconds. Okay, no problem. Can you um, answer? Yes, and then I yes. Will, I, will, okay. I will add to Camille's running list. I really mm-hmm. loved the fact that RJ was the one to die first, and he hadn't had sex also with anyone, and he's a man. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I really liked, um, also, again, that, like, no one started dying until, like, about an hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. And the scene that I quoted a bunch of stuff from is, like, that transitional moment when we move from, like, the build-up and the character development into, like, okay, people are going to mm-hmm. die now. Um, I loved also that, like, it was this old couple that were the duo in mm-hmm. inciting the chaos i agree i loved the al- the alligator as like an accomplice yeah. to murder mm-hmm. literally the perfect accomplice because he eats all the evidence so good yeah. does the alligator have a name i don't think so i think in pearl the okay. alligator might have a name but yeah. i can't and i think it's the same alligator i think I it's think both so in this, yeah. his, the story of the um the two things that I am thinking of right now are one, the like big reveal that Maxine's father is a preacher, yeah. like that. There's, the televangelist who's we've been watching the whole movie. Yet. Yeah, and just that kind of like obviously anywhere where we are talking about sex in America, there is also going to be some influence from religion because like that kind of moral mm-hmm. iconography is so embedded in there, mm-hmm. and so something about like. Yeah, having this be a through line and then finding out that, like, these characters, that Maxine particularly, who's kind of the antithesis of, like, the good Christian girl is actually sort of from this. That felt very surprising and exciting. The other thing that I feel like is a subversion is that there is a lot of love amongst these characters in a way that, like, like even Howard and Pearl, they're... It's clear that Howard just really wants to make his wife happy, and there's something really lovely about that. And then also that, like, there's so much love amongst these act, like the the porn stars or the yeah. adult film actors. They, it just feels like there's an interesting like the char- the dynamics amongst the characters. I felt like were beautifully developed. I totally agree. And I also like that Kid Cudi's character is, like, a veteran. I just thought that was so fun. Like, I loved that. Um, I love Kid Cudi. He's so great. Yeah, he is so great. I feel like in the use of the word uh, televangelist so much, I just, this movie, like, I mean, I guess you could say anything from this this time period that deals with, like, the South, but I just keep thinking of Ethel Kane and uh, Preacher's Daughter. Yeah. Farmer's daughter. Yeah. Whoa. Oh my gosh! Wow. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, that's huge. Um, Also, I just I they play very quietly. Don't fear the reaper. The reaper when he's dying. I know. I loved that too. There were so many. So that was another question I had. Is like, where did you have like some moments that were super recognizable as like references to other movies? That was one of the ones I had written down too. I and just, you mentioned a number of them already, Camille, as well. But there are so many, so many. It's good so fun. And when they're talking about Psycho, too, when he's yes, like, literally. you can't change the narrative halfway through, and he's like, and she's like, yeah, Psycho's your favorite movie, and that happens. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it does feel similar to The Cabin in the Woods. It's like, you know, and again, horror does this a lot, but just like it feels like a little puzzle, like word search for horror fans. And I think that... As a horror fan, I just really appreciate when films do that because I feel, you know, excited and it, it feels like a little love letter. Yeah, I loved that too. And I loved that he immediately was the person who died in psycho fashion and took a shower. Like, he did both. <laughs> um, that was great. Um, oh, also, I had a fun fact about Kid Cudi. He, apparently, he asked Ty West to make him a version of this movie that was, like, mom friendly so he could show it to his mother what what did that look like and ty west did it i don't know but i know at some point you both made a joke about like some movie being two minutes long if you took out all the explicit stuff and i feel like this movie is another example of that like how could you possibly make a cut of this that wasn't yeah what would it be about i don't know i don't even like a road trip that friends go on I, well, I guess maybe they probably just cut out the sex scenes. I should have looked into it a little bit more, but yeah. I think that might have been, that might have just been it. Um, That's so uh, okay. cute. He's so, so great. He is so great. So two, two, okay, th- that, that brings up two other things I want to, to hear um, from you guys about. One is, 
how did you feel about this movie starting where it ends? And two, because I don't think we've really seen much of that before in the movies we've seen so far, like a movie that starts oh, yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. of the, well, you know, like it starts well, by showing the yeah. ending. Texas um, Chainsaw. Yes, yes. That is an example, for sure. Um, and then the other thing was, like, what, what did you make? Like, I wonder if we, watching people make a movie really gave you more of an appreciation for filmmaking as well. Because mm. I feel like that was, I think, part of his objective with, with showing that. Yeah. I'm trying to just think of the other films that I, because I feel like starting where it ends is a trope that a lot of films do. Um, and I'm trying to, there's like one that's floating around my brain, but I can't, I can't remember what it is. I love that. I think it's so great when it's like a, you know what something looks like and then you have to figure out how to get there. Um, mm. I think that's so so fun um my one thing was was it all the dolls in the basement that they were like look at this it's crazy or was it jenna's body i think it might i don't know if it was jenna it wasn't jenna in the basement it was remember it was that guy i think who was hung up that she found down there i think oh. it's the same man that they also found because in the in the very they don't show us they just show yeah. the, the, the sheriff saying my god but we don't really see what he was looking at okay mm. okay but I think it was that, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I loved that so much. I, and I loved um, that they were making a movie in it. I just, again, I felt like this this movie is just like, it, I, I just think of it really as like a love letter to filmmaking and a love letter to horror. And I think that mm. the the low budget um, like technology that they're, that they're using and the scrappiness of it, like it feels like, um, what the crew kind of looked like in making like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. And I think it's always so fun, like as somebody who loves film and only recently has gotten the opportunity to see what it looks like to actually make something. Um, mm. Like I just love when they show that process and they, mm -hmm. you know, are talking about camera angles and, you know, you have like your boom opera, just all this, all this fun stuff. I love it when a, when a movie does that. So Meta. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it just, I feel like, Kiara, you and I have talked at some points about movies that you see that just, like, make you want to make movies. Like, that just make you feel like, oh, my God, I, yeah, this is, like, a community I want to be a part of, and this is a space. And I feel like this very much fits onto that list. Like, it's so, it is so clear that it was created by a group that has a lot of like of their souls attached to this thing and that is really special yeah and I think that was also another thing that he was looking he mentioned that too he wa he was very careful I think in who he picked to be in this movie because he really wanted to make sure that the people who ended up in it would love it the way that he did and I think he he was aware that like it would come across on screen if everyone who was there really believed in their reason for being there. Um, so, okay, one more thing I do want to cover, and this I'll tie into the question of, like, the final girl. Because um, we've talked a little bit about women so far, and, like, particularly the fact that an older, an elderly woman and aging itself is, like, cost is the villain in this film. But I'm curious what you both made of the way women were portrayed in this movie. Mm. And and me and of course Maxine being the the final girl, our final mm. girl who heralds the day and carries on into the last sequence in the trilogy. It's mm. called Maxine with three X's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you have any information about like Ty West and like what he's like? <laughs> oh, like what he's like as a filmmaker, as a, as a person. Or as a person, I, I don't, I haven't read very much about, or, like, what people say of him, or rather, let me say it this way, I, in everything I've seen about what people have said about him, or what it's like to work with him, they all seem to sort of celebrate the fact that he is really someone who works around a very, like, a, a vision he's really committed to, like, mm -hmm. he, he takes a lot of time 
to think about what he wants to make and he's very intentional about how mm-hmm. he goes about doing it mm-hmm. and he himself has confessed like he's he's admitted that sometimes he's probably very difficult to work with because mm-hmm. he really pushes people to like get things to the place he wants them to be yeah. but i don't i haven't seen anyone say anything like to the effect of he did it so badly that they didn't want to work with him anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he's, he's just someone who has worked really hard at his craft and who really wants to work with people who also really mm-hmm. appreciate it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you think of Well, I, I... When I saw Pearl, mm-hmm. I just like and I know that Mia Goth was involved with the writing process I just really didn't like and I know that it's like appreciated for how it's portrays how it like lets Pearl be like absolutely like batshit um and and I think that's something that you know it does well but I just didn't like the reflection of like woman that Pearl was offering I felt like it was very like manic and hysteric um in a way that I didn't appreciate. Um, And I think that X, I I like the way that the women are written. I like that they have a lot of agency and that they're making choices around their sexuality and they're very empowered. But I'm like, you know, I would like to know more about him before I Mm. like really respect those decisions. Because, you know, I, I don't know. I always think that like men writing women and men writing women that are like really sexually empowered that are like so naked in this film and this film is so much about women's bodies like whether it's a young woman's body or an older woman's body like it just makes me a little bit skeptical and want to like you know know more before I mm -hmm. totally no no I get that I um I should I it's one thing I didn't look at I wish I had looked into it a little bit it's totally fine I mean you know for Cabin in the Woods I forgot that Joss is a piece of shit so (laughs) (laughs) no no it's okay I mean but it is you're totally right because I did it was so illuminating when you shared all that you did about Lars von Trier and like all the movies he had made like it was really actually quite revealing yeah you know about what he had written because that's the same Mm. thing where I'm like oh I think it's so interesting that the woman can be this way and then it's like oh actually maybe the filmmaker is a shitty man who is not actually saying something really like nuanced about femininity and is actually just like a fucking dude (laughs) i i do think for me jenna art jenna ortega's character kind of like won the day in terms of like i think that he he made space for recognizing the ways in which like women's sexuality is often kind of owned or or ownership is claimed by the men in their life and so Mm -hmm. i felt like jenna ortega taking this opportunity to like make a choice for herself to engage with this despite her like boyfriend's preferences it just felt very like I think that that exact plot point could have been done in a way that was like really degrading and really hurtful but I think that he allowed for the power to remain with her and that for me warrants a lot of respect I totally agree with you. I love the way he handled that. And I liked the little chit like the little pep talk that he had between, he wrote between Wayne and RJ, where Wayne was like, listen, like, I'm going to tell you something about women. They will do what they want to do. You cannot stop them from yeah, doing I it. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really know what he meant by this, but I do also, like, a line that stuck out to me was, there isn't such, there is no such thing as, like, a nice girl. I, I kind of, in the moment that I heard it, sort of interpreted that to mean, like, nice girl is something that is said of women, but not something that they mm. aspire to embody necessarily. And I felt like in that moment he was he was saying that to kind of break the, like, like you can't, you don't talk about women that way. You know, like, they're not, that's not the only, that's not the singular way that they can be. Um, I don't know. Did that, did you have a different interpretation of that or did it even really stick out to you now? I did have a different interpretation, but I like, I like yours better. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, I, I did. And I also, um, yeah, you're, yeah. I'm trying to remember in his other films, I, the only one that's really sticking out to me with women in the lead, I don't, I haven't seen Cabin Fever 2, so I don't really know what happens in there but in house of the devil which is the other it's about to primarily about one woman who's babysitting i don't i don't think he really 
does anything too degrading to women in that one either. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's really his thing. <laughs> Kang. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Women. Yeah, no, I think he's pro pro women. <laughs> pro them being themselves and great. Oh yeah. Um, I think I'm sort of reaching the end of my. Oh. Okay, well, I, I really like the alligator in this movie. I just love that he included one. I thought that was really fun. I, I think yeah. they filmed it beautifully. I think it was a cool, um, like, it was a fun nod. It was a fun way to tie in, like, something like Jaws as a reference point for, you know, a movie yeah. in horror as well. I liked that, too. What was I going to... Oh, right, and they used a mechanical one, and Brittany Snow... I think she, like... Oh, she said something funny. Hang on one second. She said something funny about it. Let me find the... I love Britney Snow. Oh my gosh. She's so great. She's amazing. I love her too. She's so good. She's been okay. in such great movies. She has. I totally agree with you. I really admire her. I think she's a wonderful actress. She, oh, she said, okay, so about the alligator, she said, I'm originally from Florida, so death by alligator, I feel like represented, represented where I'm from accurately. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I felt very proud that that was my death scene. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Cute. I loved it too. It was really sweet. Um, and there was, they used like a mechanical alligator, and I think she had to like learn how to roll in the water to look like she was dying and being flung around by it. Um, Cute. Yeah. So th- this was kind of an open question that I was considering like throughout thinking about this conversation that we were going to have. Um, and that is, like, we're reaching a really interesting point in, like, the movies that we're looking at in that they, they are coming out in the years that, like, you know, are kind of the present, you know? like and, and I feel like we're really witnessing, like, again, I think I sort of mentioned this in our last conversation um, about, like, Happened in the Woods, is, like, there's a redefining now of the horror canon. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I wonder... If, for the two of you, like, what does this say sort of about the horror landscape now? Do you know, like, is it reflective of anything um, mm. within it and where it might be going in the next few years? Or also, you know, like, what do you think it's going to say about the time that it came from in a couple mm. of years? Yeah. Something that I read that Ty West said that I appreciated hearing was that he, like, his work is very esoteric and he really relies on the people he works with to either get it or if they don't get it, then they're probably not like going to be great collaborators. And I think just like as a filmmaker, allowing himself to dive into like the symbols of his own film in that way, it makes me feel hopeful for how, yeah, like horror gets to continue to be in development without feeling the need to like, adhere to specific ideas commercially of what horror is mm-hmm. so if yeah I guess I, I feel hopeful because of this movie and others that will continue to get to see these like labors of love yeah along that line I I didn't actually I didn't get a chance to look into this very closely but if, if either of you did please do inform the rest of this that I'm about to say but I feel like he hasn't done very many like major studio movies i think this might be among the first that he's done like hasn't done independently like he did it with a24 as a distributor i'm not sure if he's done that um with his other movies uh where he's worked with a big studio but i I, that's to add on to what you're saying on that's something i really love and admire about his work too is that he really keeps like the independent um filmmaking alive in this genre too um which I love. Did you guys, I, I mean, you just said it, but I didn't know until recently. I mean, I, I think that maybe this is obvious, but I thought A24 was like a production company, but they're just a distributor. So they like buy rights to films after, like after film festivals. Mm. So they're not actually involved in the production process, which really? is interesting because they have mm. such a like stylistic aesthetic and it they seems do. like, yeah, I mean, they do an incredible job of, I mean, it's curation, right? Yeah, um, totally. I mean, they put out so many, like, haven't they, didn't they do, like, Midsummer and Hereditary and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Talk to Me? Didn't they do St. Maude also? I think, I don't know, I don't know. I can um, check right now. 
Yeah, I mean, no, they do uh, the best. They do the best horrors. They, they do really good ones, yeah. I, I really love that. I, I do, like... I feel like that is something... That, that's something I came across, too, in reading about this. Like, there's something... Even between the... And it's still by decade. Like, between the 2010s and now, even... I think there was a change in the way that people approached making movies, and it was because uh, horror movies in particular, and it's because of what I think you're mentioning here, Camille, which is like the rise of these studios that had a lot of money that and that were willing to invest in these people who were just making mm-hmm. really, really brilliant um, mm-hmm. horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that said and did a lot more than just like add more to a franchise that's already well established or like go on and on with gore but like movies that really had something to say um mm-hmm. yeah St. Maude's Studio Canal it's not okay. okay 24 okay um but to your to your question about like horror today I just think it's so it's so fascinating because I think horror is doing like a million different things today it's hard for me I'm really curious to see like in 10 years or whatever what the defining genre of this decade is or if there even will be one because it just feel like mm. feels like horror is more expansive than it's ever been but I do mm. really love I think that films like um you know and we started seeing these happen with Scream but there's just so much I think with our access to the internet and our access to other texts and information, there's so much intertextuality and so much ability ability to like expand on stuff that's done before. And I love that horror is continuing to do that and continuing to do it in even more creative ways to like subvert our expectations and play with what already exists. So mm-hmm. while I don't think it's necessarily the defining like thing of the decade I think that that like the kind of um yeah postmodern echoes of what's happening in other movies being reflected and kind of changed in modern day mm. film is something that is just honestly like such a delight to to get to watch mm. yeah totally um okay cool is there anything else you guys want to touch on about this movie not from my end I don't think so. I'm looking at my notes. Okay. (laughs) I will say that, like, I watched this a couple of days ago. When we first, when we saw it in the theater, Kiara, I was obsessed with it. It was, like, my favorite movie of the year or one of them. Then when I rewatched it a few days ago, I didn't really like it. Mm. Oh, why? Um, I just, like, didn't find it as interesting. I was even more pissed off about, like, the body stuff. Mm. Um. And then, and I think that also not, like, having not liked Pearl, that was really, like, coloring how I saw it. But after this conversation and after finding Psycho Biddy, um, which I need to read more about to make sure that what I said is true and, like, be able to talk about it more eloquently because it's fucking incredible. Um, I like it a lot more after mm. this conversation. So thanks for... Uh, uh, bringing me on this journey, shepherding me through like Gollum (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course it was my pleasure um well it was so fun to talk to you guys about this movie thank you everyone for listening um please do tune in for our next episode which will be hosted by Annika um (gasps) oh my god it's gonna be an excellent an excellent finale for you for season two so do tune in um thanks for being here okay bye Let's go, girls.